This week as I was preparing for this sermon, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine about this series that we're doing on Sabbath. And after sharing what, what we've been reflecting on the past couple of weeks, she said, you know, that's really brave of you to preach about Sabbath. I, I don't think I could do that because I don't really practice Sabbath. Oof, I thought. Uh, now, of course, I had to be honest with her and acknowledge that, well, no, I also am not particularly good at practicing Sabbath, at, at really taking rest, of having actual days off. Uh, maybe there's a few of you out there also. But I explained to her that I'm, I'm, I'm just getting tired, literally, of, of wearing my workaholism as a, as a badge of pride. Have you ever noticed how often we express constant, constant exhaustion in our society as proof of worthiness? How are you doing? Oh, tired, but good, right? It just comes out like without thinking as if, as if that's what, what, what we need to say in order to let people know that we're working hard enough, we're good, we're not lazy. And part of preaching on Sabbaths, like, like pretty much everything else that you will ever hear me preach about, is grounded in the fact that I, too, need the reorienting. It's not because I've got it all figured out or I, I practice it perfectly, but because I also need to be, as Cole Arthur Riley put it in that quote in your bulletin earlier, I also need to be saved from myself. I know how hard practicing Sabbath is in, in our culture of constant exhaustion, where we think, all right, I'll work hard, but I'll rest on the weekend or, or in retirement. How, how often is retirement actually an invitation to rest more? I hear quite the opposite quite often. Right? We, we go out to a restaurant on a date, out to eat, and, and how often I, I look around and see people not talking to each other but scrolling on their phones. We don't have the ability to even connect. On vacation, we go to the beach, but then we take our phones with us and continue to scroll, right? It's almost comical if it weren't so sad. And again, I'm right there, I'm right there with all of you. But, and this is important, this, this isn't just about an individual moralistic failing, as if, you know what, each of you out there and myself included, we just need to do better, stop failing, Right? We all want to rest. We just struggle to do it, to truly connect with ourselves, with creation, with our loved ones. And I think the real issue, what we've been sort of circling around here with this reflection on Sabbath, is that we are just the products, in many ways, of our society. Our inability to rest is a reflection of the fact that the habits and the values, the work culture of our society does not value rest, deems anybody who isn't working as lazy. And so we struggle to be able to do that because we don't want to be associated with that, which is why I call Riley's words and our invitation to practice Sabbath, it's a devastating truth because it is the exact opposite of how we spend our days, how we orient our lives and our world, which is, again, why she says that this path to freedom 
is one that will have to save us from ourselves. As I described some of this to my friend, she mentioned an article that she had just read in the New York Times about the rise in companies tracking worker productivity. Have you, have you heard about this? This, this article, uh, it turns out, which tracks your productivity as you read the article, is a perfect illustration of what I'm trying to get at. And it begins with recounting the story of, story of Carol Kramer, who is a longtime finance executive. She took a new job, senior vice president at this company, $200 an hour, something to aspire to, right? She's made it. But a few months in, her, her paychecks kept coming back Short. It turns out that her new employer, which uses extensive monitoring software on its all-remote workers, paid employees only for the minutes when the system detected active work, which it turns out doesn't include things like doing math problems on paper, reading printouts, thinking. <laughs> because, again, the system... The system couldn't register those things. It didn't value those things. It didn't know how to. And so if she wanted to be compensated for this work, which, again, included more than just a little of the labor required in her position to manage and mentor a dozen people, every time she had to submit a request to her superior to get paid for that time. The baseline environment that the system created in the organization, she said, was just, it was one devoid of trust. How do you... How do you have an environment and work with people on teams when there's no trust? In another case, the article showed how United Healthcare social workers and therapists seeing patients with drug addiction and other serious problems were marked idle, not working, for a lack of keyboard activity while counseling their patients in drug treatment facilities, which, like Carol, means that their compensation is affected. Reverend Margot Richardson, a hospice chaplain in Minneapolis, I think really puts the values undergirding this system on display. She says, as a hospital chaplain, right, her work centers on helping patients and their families face death. It's a hard job to quantify, but quantify it we will. Two years ago, her employer started requiring chaplains to accrue more of what it called Productivity points. A visit to the dying, one point. Participating in a funeral, ah, one and three quarters of a point. A phone call to grieving relatives, eh, a quarter point. Which left the chaplains scrambling and in a perpetual dilemma. Right? Do I see the patients who earn me more points so I too can earn a living? Or do I see the patients who really need to be seen. It's going to sound terrible, another chaplain said, but, but every now and, and then I would do what I thought of as spiritual drive-bys just to rack up points. Yeah. <laughs> Such worker productivity trackers are, they're new to higher-paying, white-collar jobs, but they've actually been used for a while now by large corporations like Amazon and Kroger, UPS, and others to track their millions of drivers, their cashiers. Actually, eight out of 10 of the largest private US employers use these employee productivity trackers, basically reducing millions and millions of, of uh, American citizens, of humans, 
to human robots, right, whose value is reduced not only to their production, but to what the system deems work. Or I should say, by what those creating that system deem valuable, deem work. And this is key because no system is neutral. No economic, no judicial, no political system, no system is neutral, and it's biased toward those holding the power within it to shape it. As these stories and others from that Times article make clear, such time-tracking software is warping, is, is degrading the foundations of time and trust in people's lives. Even more, every day that we live within these kinds of systems, they shape, they warp how we see, how we value and treat others, even outside of work. It infiltrates our families, our relationships, how we view others in our community. They shape our future. They shape what's possible without even realizing it. For three weeks now, this series on Sabbath, again, we've been reflecting on how in Scripture, Sabbath represents a vision for our lives and for the structuring of our world such that there is enough for everyone to flourish. Sabbath calls forth, it invites us to imagine systems that uphold inherent, the inherent dignity of every person, as well as of creation itself, a world where everyone belongs where everyone has enough to eat, to drink, enough love, enough dignity, enough respect, enough care. And no one person's having enough comes at the expense of another's. That's the vision that our faith calls us to imagine and live toward. And then articles like this one sort of smack us upside the head with the very different reality in which we live. The reality that our lives, our communities, our world are largely structured around the exact opposite of these things. Rather than a world grounded in a vision of abundance that is, is predicated on uplifting the common good as a baseline, on mutuality and equity, on everyone having enough, the systems that structure our world so often are grounded in corporate greed and power. Those are the ones pulling the levers and making the decisions, in maximizing the bottom line for a few elite while infusing millions of the rest of us with this sort of anxiety about whether or not we'll have enough, or perhaps what we will sacrifice in order to make whatever we deem to be enough. Will we sacrifice a marriage? Will we sacrifice being more a part of our kids' lives? Serving the community? Friendships? Joy? Delight? It turns out that those things that usually get sacrificed are actually the things that truly matter. Sabbath and our ancient faith tradition call us to continually be reminded that God has delivered us from such a world, from such practices and systems. 
And this is exactly what's taking place in our readings from the prophet Isaiah in the Gospel of Luke. Isaiah 58 begins with God saying, I hate, I despise your fasting, your religion, because you structure your society around greed and competition. Or as it says, you oppress all your workers. And then you go on thinking that you're a nation that honors me? This isn't the vision toward which I have called you. Don't use, don't use my religion to justify this reality, God says. No, you know what kind of fast, what kind of religion I want, God asks? Make sure that no one goes hungry, that everyone has clothing and a home, connections and kinship. Right on cue, then, our reading this morning picks up with a call to honor the Sabbath. That is in contrast to what you've been doing. I'm calling you to honor this vision for ordering your world in ways that heal and restore, that bring flourishing for all, not not just a few. If you do that, did you catch all the thens? Then, then you'll experience that renewal. Then you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose wells do not run dry. If you stop trampling my Sabbath, stop doing whatever you want, stop your business as usual, that, that which is ordering the world, and thinking that I will simply bless it, and instead you live by the vision of Sabbath to which I have called you, then, then your light will break forth like the dawn of a new day. Then you shall be known as repairers of the breach, the restorers of streets that are inhabitable, that are livable. We find a similar dynamic at the heart of Jesus' argument with the leader of the synagogue. And again, a critique not of Judaism itself, but of, well, us old religious folks of every age and every stripe. Right, being a Christian coming to worship, saying you believe in Jesus, these are not ends in and of themselves or or standards that people must meet in order to be righteous. Rather, Jesus is saying, the purposes of our practices, the purposes of invitations to things like uh, Sabbath keeping, of, of really resting, the purpose is to help foster healthy, vibrant forms of life. And so any religious act or any secular teaching that diminishes or inhibits such life isn't just a missed opportunity. It's a profound contradiction. It's a disastrous reversal, like misusing an instrument of of life as a means of death. This is what Jesus I think he's trying to clarify when he heals on the Sabbath. So not only is it okay to heal on the Sabbath, according to Jesus, to to seemingly contradict what tradition has given us as orthodox religious teaching, but what a better day to do so, to heal someone than on the Sabbath, a day that itself symbolizes liberation and flourishing, As we reflected on last Sunday, Sabbath day is is this day that we remember 
that we were once in bondage in the land of Egypt and that God has delivered us from, from that world. The invitation of Sabbath, the challenge that it sets before us is to recognize the dissonance between the vision of liberation and flourishing toward which, toward which our faith beckons us and the ways that our world, our reality are misaligned with that. It's to have the courage to go beyond partisan blaming, bickering, to recognize where the systems and rhythms and values of our world, like this employee tracking system is just one example, where they are eroding the foundations of flourishing. It is to be more committed to dreaming with God of systems and structures of rhythms that could be, that could be, rather than simply defending what is, just because it's what's familiar. The invitation, the challenge is to be clear-eyed and honest with ourselves about, about the things structuring our churches, as well as our wider world. What results are they designed to produce? Do our teachings and our practices liberate? Or do they bind people? Do they infuse us with anxiety about being good enough? About producing enough? About having enough? Or do they cultivate flourishing? Or perhaps we should ask, in the midst of our teachings, our values, our beliefs, our practices as a church, as a world, who is considered free? Who? Who is given privilege? Who gets to flourish? And who doesn't? Because again, for all of our rhetoric about American and Christian exceptionalism, we are not the promised land. We need to be mindful ever, always, of this reality. For in order to get there, we must go beyond simplistic moralism, again, that only blames individuals for their circumstances and focus on the larger picture. So may we, friends, may we honor this vision of Sabbath indeed. May God grant us the courage the ability to perceive this dissonance, these contradictions. And may God give us the resolve to dream a new world into being for our healing and flourishing, for the healing and flourishing of all the world.